Hey, hey, friendos. Welcome to The Road to Nowhere, a Marvel Champions LCG podcast. We focus on recapping Solo Champions League, but if you enjoy breaking down the finer details of a Marvel Champions matchup, then we have something for you. I'm your host, Josaru, and with us this week is my alliance mate and um, former Scheme League partner, Matthew Noodles. Matthew Noodles, how are you doing? Hey, man, what's going on? I've been, uh, been doing pretty good, doing pretty good. This uh, the season was a uh, the season was a season for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, there's some definitely some difficult stuff going on there, but I had a lot of fun with it this season personally. Um, how are you doing, man? Good, good. It was a it was a it was a quiet season for our alliance. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Astrodar, our third leg was was out for I think everything but the very maybe the very first round. Um, so. The the alliance chat was not quite as robust as usual, but we we still had fun, had some had some conversations, had uh, some good deck building, tried out some dumb decks. I don't know, it was pretty good. No, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, in general, like just going by like all the chats and everything like that going on in the Discord, uh, this seemed to be a less uh, a less active season than usual. But I think that is mostly just you know, this season being completely centered around the holidays. There was some mm. like uh there were some like three uh week rounds because it was like around the holidays and stuff. And yeah, I I, I think people are just uh people are just busy for the most part. But even then like um I, I was actually surprised like um the the results there seemed to be more people posting scores than I thought they were gonna be considering like how relatively inactive the discord was this time around right. but again you know everyone was busy i totally get it i was busy too um a lot of the uh, a lot of the rounds i definitely didn't get as many practice games in and didn't get to like post any like decks and guides like i usually try to do for uh for the round so yeah, I, I totally understand yeah it felt like there was a lot more kind of end of round sharing but not not early mid-round sharing yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm wondering if it was just because, like, um, I mean, I know with me, a lot of it was I was trying to get games in kind of last minute. Like I said, <laughs> not not a lot of time to test, and uh, by the time I actually like got my games in and everything, um, there was usually only a couple of days left in the round, and I was like, eh, well, is it really worth it to, like, post a whole guide if only a few people are going to see it, and most people have already submitted at this point, so, right. you know, um, but... You know, uh, weather's getting warmer. I think everyone's getting a little bit less, like completely out of control. And uh, hopefully next, uh, hopefully next season, I'll uh, see a little bit more pickup in uh, the discussion and all the deck posts and everything like that. I, I definitely would like to make it a personal goal to like get on that a little bit earlier and try to participate a little bit more myself earlier on in the discussions for things. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's definitely a thing you can take. You, you as an individual can take like an active part in as well, right? Getting getting out there, sharing decks, talking, um, right? That I do, I definitely do find when I post decks early that there tends to be a decent amount of discussion around it, and so you can kind of pull people into the discussion. Yeah, for sure. And uh, ever since like uh, we broke deck sharing into like that kind of like threaded format in the Discord, it seems like a lot more people are more apt to like share decks and talk about decks and 
that's something I've really liked. Um, cause I feel like before that it was only a handful of us that were like really sharing decks. And now it seems to be like a lot of people from all across like different flights and everything. And that's always really nice to see. Yeah. 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 I love it. Um, so in, we're, we're in the, we're in the off season right now. We're going to be talking about, uh, season 13 round five, but we're in between seasons. We're going to do a preview pod with Innsmouth bear next week for for season 14 what do you what how does your gaming change in between seasons is it like do you kind of do mostly marvel champions and not a lot of other stuff or is there what happens in between uh honestly it really depends on uh what games have just come out besides marvel champions uh like uh for this uh the um i i just got into the new world of warcraft expansion so that's been eating a lot of my uh uh-huh. outside time outside of uh solo champions league in general and i've been using this kind of break to kind of like catch up on that a little bit um that being said, like I'm, I'm pretty behind in like testing new Marvel Champions stuff, uh, and I'd, I'd like to jump back into that. And honestly, I'd like to start jumping back into that with like other people playing and everything like that. Because Solo Champions League, you know, I get a lot of the solo stuff done there, and like that fills my need for a lot of that solo stuff. But I actually do, um, like in in terms of the overall health of the game, I usually like doing two handed or three handed or playing with a couple of people or something like that. So. I'd like to get some games together and like actually, you know, catch up on some of the content I've been missing out on. Yeah, I hear you, one hundred percent. Yeah, I uh, I've been playing a little bit of Marvel Champions on the side outside of Solo Champions League, but I tend to kind of Solo Champions League fuels most of my plays, and then um, I also play other solo board games uh, a mm-hmm. little. I have a special table with a lid that comes off, so I can kind of leave big sprawling games out for the amount of time that they need to be left out for then playing uh this game called anachrony which Mm -hmm. is you know fairly complicated worker placement game where um you're like it it's kind of secretly getting you to take loans and pay back loans but it has this mechanism where you get yourself from a future turn to send resources back to you and then once you get to that turn you have to like kind of pay the resources back it's really it's really a funny interesting game that's um it's very convoluted because of all the time time it's it's rare that you find time travel not being convoluted but it it's pretty neat (laughs) no that sounds pretty awesome actually i'll need to look that one up but uh i'm i'm very jealous of that table setup it sounds like you got a pretty good setup going and uh, (laughs) um i've been looking for like a uh, gaming table for like the living room and uh you might need to link me to that one that you got because like that sounds pretty amazing in all honesty yeah i live in a pretty tiny place with 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 four people and a dog so that's like you really (laughs) really got to find that extra space where you can so our house has kind of got a lot of you know boat-like features in terms of uh you know little tables that fold up and all those kinds of things oh very nice very space efficient that's awesome very space efficient um okay well so let's let's dig into this round that we just played so it was like i said it was season 13 round five the season's theme was team building which is something that showed up in each round. This specific round was um, an Avengers-focused one, and it was 
tower defense with the Streets of Mayhem modular difficulty was expert. Um, this this season happened to be one where Innsmouth Bear shifted kind of the most difficult combination to standard in round three, and then round five is less difficult than we've maybe seen it in the past. So because we've seen things like Ronin and Nebula in in round five and those are the things that are going to show up a little bit more in round three and five is kind of you know like moderate difficulties um from that that overall perspective our heroes were ant-man black widow spectrum vision and wasp so that was avengers right so that's the our our team building theme was it was avengers here the aspect was leadership and then the campaign element very tedious to have to deal with was three damage on the Avengers Tower, and we'll talk about why that matters in a moment. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll talk a little bit about tower defense. I got my pile of cards in front of me. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tower defense is one of the multi-villain um, scenarios. I think I think this is actually a reasonably successful one. So there's two villains, Proxima, Midnight, and Corvus Glaive. And at the end of each turn, the active villain switches between them. And they have, you know, like different abilities or whatever. But the one of the really interesting hooks on this one is the main schemes are not ones that advance to later made schemes or let make you lose the game when they when they advance instead they they have their own effect when they get to the maximum threat and then they go back to zero again and so the the two effects are well from from corvus glaive it's actually you just take an extra encounter card which is you know tedious but not not game ending the other one which is much more challenging and it's actually associated with avengers tower is from proxima midnight uh if it if her main scheme pops you put three damage on the avengers tower and so the Avengers Tower in Solo is it's it starts out it can take up to nine damage, but of course, as already mentioned, it takes it starts with three, and then Proxima does three damage, and then there's some other cards in the overall encounter deck that also can do damage to the Avengers Tower, depending on if you're able to avoid them or or whatever the case is. So that three damage to Avengers Tower means that you know it's really likely that you're going to have the Avengers Tower flip to its damage side um, when you start with that three damage, because avoiding six damages actually can be pretty tricky overall in, in this one. So I don't know, any any thoughts to add to any of that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, so I agree with you in that this is probably one of the best scenarios and marvel champions we've seen so far in terms of having like a multi-villain thing in any way shape or form um in standard play and usually this is like one of my favorite scenarios in the game in all honesty like i absolutely love this scenario um that being said like um uh i mean i, I guess i should say first like what i like most about this scenario is that it does um it does feel a lot different than a lot of scenarios in that the loss condition is this Avengers Tower that you kind of have to deal with and play around in terms of saving damage from actually getting onto the tower instead of, you know, just having, like, uh, lost by either dying or scheming out. So I like that, like, alternate kind of, like, win and loss, con well, loss condition in this particular case. And I like playing around that and figuring out how to play around in most cases for the, uh, for the Avengers Tower stuff. 
it's a lot of really cool decision making that you have to make throughout the scenario in terms of like, oh, well, should I try and take this extra damage like to the face or should I like put the damage on Avengers Tower? Uh, that being said, um, the unfortunate thing and we can uh, you were kind of alluding to to it before uh, when the tower starts at three damage. Um, the real problem is you can get to the damage side of the tower with pretty much nothing that you can do to save it. Like, there's no gameplay decisions you can really make. And, like, me personally, like, I really hate those scenarios when they're designed in a way that, like, there's literally nothing you can do to, like, prevent a loss or semi-loss condition. And, like, in terms of the scoring of Solo Champions League, you know, uh, how it was scored is basically if you get your Avengers Tower uh, flipped over to the damage side, that's basically the same as if, like... You get the same uh, scheme score penalty as if a villain like advanced to the next stage of a scheme, more or less. Yeah. So it's a big hit to your score overall, in a, and in a lot of cases with most heroes, there's not really much you can do to prevent that if you draw certain bad encounter cards. So um, yeah, in, in, in most cases, and uh, even in, ish, in uh, rounds we've had in the past where we've uh, done tower defense and there's only been like one or two damage on this, I really, really like this scenario. But um, yeah, in this particular case, uh, it, it is just one of those feel bad things where, you know, um, you know, your score can take a huge hit when there's not much you can do about it. And that, 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 it just doesn't feel good. Not a huge fan of that personally. But that being and said... Overall, pretty fun, pretty fun concept, pretty fun uh, scenario. Probably one of my favorites in the game, like objectively. Well, and then we we do see in Solo Champions League, you know, there's a contrast between how scenarios feel in the league versus how they feel just to play on their own. Where the we, in the in the league, you know, kind of more recent observations, some of the really long long scenarios do feel a little tedious because you end up playing them so many times, but also things that, you know, main schemes that are really hard to prevent from from popping, or in this case, the Avengers Tower, where it doesn't feel like you have a lot of control. And in a regular game that you're playing outside of Solo Champions League, that's no problem. You kind of take the penalty that goes with it, but keep on going because you're just playing for win or loss. But here, you're you're playing for points, competing with yourself and or others, depending on your your attitude toward what you're up to, and and that losing score for reasons that don't entirely feel like your own play. That that's where it doesn't feel great. Right, exactly. And, and and that is a great observation. There are like there are some scenarios and like even heroes and everything that just like I have a lot of fun with in just normal standard play of the game that just like don't feel good in Solar Champions League just because of the way it's designed and the way it's scored. But uh, that that happens like the the inverse is also true. There are heroes and scenarios that I've really enjoyed playing and like figuring out and deck building in Solar Champions League that like I normally wouldn't really dive that deep into in standard play. So, you know, it's give and take. It's give and take. Well, I, one of my one of my favorite examples is you know, we've seen in Quicksilver rounds, and we've made this ob observation, right? We've seen that people play Quicksilver like a tempo hero instead of, instead of a combo hero and are mm -hmm. really successful, which is just a thing that on your own in a solo game or even in a team game, you might not try to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just you have to, you have to, comp you have to really approach the game in, a, in 
very different ways in many scenarios, like in that scenario with Quicksilver, where technically the best way to build him up is a combo version uh, in terms of like overall power and just winning the game. But if you're trying to do things fast, yeah, you definitely have to play him like a tempo hero. Very cool. Okay, do you want to talk about the Streets of Mayhem? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this was the modular encounter set set that we had for this round. Uh, It comes from the Hood Pack. Uh, And uh, this is basically just a series of uh, four different environment cards that can just come out at any point. They have Surge, so it's basically just they come out and they're just out until another environment shows up from the same uh, modular set. Then you get another encounter card after that. So um, the uh, they are very interesting in that the environments kind of affect every character and everything going on in play. Like uh, there, are, there, there are basically certain cards that'll basically give all characters that's villains minions allies and heroes like plus one attack plus one scheme and like you know an accelerate or sorry uh yeah plus one uh thwart and an acceleration icon for each enemy gives everyone retaliation uh everything like that so it it, it basically changes how you play the entire game in a lot of ways which is like it can be cool and fun and interesting in like a lot of scenarios, but how it ended up working out in this particular scenario uh, didn't feel, um, it, it felt like a hindrance more often than not um, for a couple different reasons. Um, so like I, like I was saying before, there are four different, uh, four different cards. I'm trying to actually bring up the names of those right now. I thought I had those, but I did not. But um, Basically, the um, the big hindrance and like the big like one you really had to watch out for, and maybe this was just anecdotal because I got it twice for very long periods of time in two of my official games. But there's an environment card that uh, that comes out of this modular set that gives everyone retaliate one. That's sewer tunnels. That's that's the name of the card, and um, basically. Uh, Giving everything retaliate one, that is mostly way better for the villains than it is for the heroes, um, especially when we're playing leadership as our aspect in all of this. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, uh, basically we've got two different villains to deal with. And, you know, with uh, when we're playing leadership, that kind of like hinders us in two different ways. Like one, the retaliate one... Uh, uh, give it to all of your allies that doesn't really do anything because you're chump blocking the majority of the time because of the way the scenario is set up and two um you know given retaliate to both of the villains it means you can't really rely on your allies for like the bulk of your damage right. which uh which is unfortunate because there are a lot of um heroes in this particular like set that we had that really could have used you know relying on those allies for big bursts of damage and stuff and like if this comes out that that plan is just completely kaput and you kind of and you kind of just design your deck in a way that like didn't make you completely rely on that because then if this card came out then it would just like totally mess up your entire strategy um and then the other bad one was secret lair which gave every enemy an acceleration icon and everyone gets plus one four (laughs) which you know that basically means that yeah because there are two villains at all times, you're getting two acceleration icons, and those acceleration icons 
I believe affect both of the main schemes. So Correct. basically, you're 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 getting six threat overall per turn, even before scheming or anything like that. When this is coming on, and that plus one thwart kind of helps, but not so much, especially when you like you really don't want to scheme out on Proxima's uh, scheme because that one have, uh, damages the Avengers Tower. Um, and then. Conversely, if you get something like Back Alley Enclave, that's extremely good. If you get that for a long period of time, that can like really speed your game up because, again, we've got a bunch of allies out. They're all getting plus one attack. The villains are getting plus one attack, but that doesn't really matter because you're chump blocking most of the time. And yep. we'll talk a little bit more about that in like strategies. But yeah, overall, um, and then the, the, the warehouse district one, it gives you everyone steady, which doesn't really matter it, again it's better for the villains because in some of the heroes have like some good confused and stuns and that's a good strategy to actually use against these uh two villains in a lot of cases and that kind of messes up that plan but you know there aren't many stuns or confuses that are going against your hero in the encounter deck so again that's just like all good for the villain no upside for you um so yeah, uh, overall, this is a pretty brutal modular set in that, you know, 75% of the uh, environments that can come out will stick out for the majority of the game once you draw them and like definitely hinder you a lot of the time. So it was definitely a good one to make this a lot more challenging um, yeah. overall. So props to Vince with Bear for uh, designing it that <laughs> way. Definitely like well, they, that. There's like a magic density that this this set somehow hit that you managed to get one of these out relatively early in the game and then don't manage to get rid of it right a hundred percent like it's 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 easy to get the first one out and hard to get the second one out to get rid of the first one a hundred percent yeah absolutely like i, I said like i was unfortunate enough to get like uh the sewer tunnels the retaliate one out yeah. like very early e like either way like in two of my three official games and that was super fun to deal with, but uh, again, like it, it made the it made uh, Avenger or sorry, uh, Tower Defense isn't like the hardest scenario ever, especially on Expert, and this definitely bumped the difficulty up in like a fun and kind of interesting way. Right. Yeah. The um, I think from a design perspective, I would have really liked to see these have some sort of player agency in terms of being able to get rid of them. Um. You know, I don't know exactly what that is, but, you know, something that the players can do to either change location, right? Discard cards until you find another one and put it into play or, or whatever it is. But just, you know, getting stuck with some of those that really work against your overall design and they don't, they just don't cycle fast enough. That kind of really felt pretty bad at times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree that it like might have been designed a little bit better if like you had some way to at least cycle through them, maybe like replace yeah. it with another one randomly or something like that. But at the same time, like, I don't know, I I, I kind of like, you know, the looming threat of sewer tunnels being out, meaning that you had to like, you had to like basically deck build around it, which like I, I always really enjoy. I, I, I like being, I like having... I like being rewarded for like actually thinking about like these individual encounter cards and being like, well, if that one comes out and I build my deck in this way, then I'm screwed. So like I have yeah. to figure out something else to kind of get around that just in case this does happen. So 
I mean, well, me personally, I, I, I kind of really like this encounter set and that it does force you to like change your game up and forces you to deck build in a specific way that you're not relying on one specific strategy. And and the degree to which both of us enjoy practicing and trying out decks and fine tuning and that that sort of thing like leans into this as well, right? Because you mm-hmm. you can try a deck and then, you know, assuming you get enough practice games in, you really get a sense of how easy it is to get stuck with one of these for a long period of time and how much you do maybe need to lean a little harder in your deck building into not being stuck with that in a way that's going to mean you can't win. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. All right. Um, we're going to, we'll talk about the heroes a little bit as we look at the individual decks. So remember there was five heroes again, they were all Avengers. Um, but maybe do you want to, you've, you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but you, do you want to tell us a little bit about your, your round, the hero you chose, how it went? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I ended up going with vision in this scenario. Um, in in our uh, alliance chat, we were kind of trying to uh, figure out each round. Like I was trying to go really hard this uh, this round. I didn't I didn't finish top three in the last season, and I made it for a goal myself. I was I was gonna like try really hard to like go super sweaty and just like really <laughs> choose the heroes that were gonna give me a lot of bonus XP and try to get like really good rankings in every single round. And uh, fortunately, that didn't work. <laughs> Um, I didn't place that highly at the end of the season, but uh, what are you going to do? But basically, like, we were trying to figure out, like, every round, like, okay, what what heroes are going to get us the most XP? What what heroes are going to, like, do the best overall in terms of rankings and uh, scoring? And we're kind of, like, looking at past performances and decided that, like, Black Widow and Vision were probably going to be the best in terms of the bonus XP they ended up giving us. uh, that did not end up being the case, unfortunately, <laughs> but that was that was our initial analysis. Uh, so I ended up going with Vision. Uh, Vision's pretty cool in that, um, luckily, I didn't have to do actually a lot of deck building to um, build around that Retaliate 1, because he's got some really big damage events that can like do the majority and bulk of damage, and you, know, you can use your allies more as just support characters, clearing off threat, clearing off minions, uh, ex- like chump blocking, etc. So I had a pretty good time with Vision. Vision's a really fun hero that I haven't played like nearly enough, and mm-hmm. um, you know, um, Joss, you posted like a Vivian recursion deck that uh, the famous Tony Tails posted a while ago on Marvel CBD. Yeah, and I didn't lean like the hardest into trying getting Vivian out and like completely relying on that because if you couldn't get both her and. Um, the support card out. Uh, I was thinking six one six Hikrilian. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, that one. If you can't, if you couldn't get that out in like your first pass, then like, you know, um, you had to rely on other stuff for the bulk of your damage and everything. But still, when you were able to get that engine online, it was really fun. And um, luckily, like uh, we kind of, uh, I think everyone kind of came to the conclusion while they were playing this round that you could essentially flip every single round during the scenario because if corvus actually ends up scheming out uh with his main scheme you get an extra encounter card but that's not horrible like a lot of the encounter cards in this encounter set aren't like completely awful and what it essentially means is that you're just clearing off that threat for free every time he like goes over the six uh threat cap on his scheme so 
Overall, it ended up being a better strategy, I think most people found, to just be in hero form when Proxima was active, and then be in alter ego form when Corvus was active. So it, it gave a lot of cool strategies for heroes that were very good at flipping, very good in alter ego. And um, Vision, once he gets that 616 Hickory Lane, like that is really nice to be able to recur Vivian and or just like get her from the deck. Or get um, Machine Man if she's like already out or something like that. So that was really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, I just played like a pretty heavy, like an ally heavy deck with a lot of good stuff that allies could do. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, their classic like White Tiger, uh, Nick Fury, Maria Hill. Um, and because I was already playing um, Make the Call. As part of that kind of Vivian recursion idea, you know, you could get a lot of those guys back into play, get their effects to go off, especially Nick Fury. Uh, leaned a little bit harder into, like, those kind of things, especially with White Tiger and Nick Fury, by putting... Um, I'm totally spacing on the name of the card right now. Uh, hold on, I'm bringing up my deck. Regroup. Oh, Regroup. Yeah. yeah, so you... If uh, yeah. if uh, Ally gets... Defeated by an attack in a round, you get them back to your hand, so you can just keep playing these specific allies over and over again. But uh, other than that, just like some pretty standard stuff, reboot, uh, deft focus, ready to rumble, all the stuff that kind of like takes advantage of visions, abilities, and cards, uh, and just kind of went in from there. Uh, Had a pretty decent round from what I thought. Um... But ended up actually finishing fourth overall. I think I was a little bit slow in comparison. And what really ended up killing my score, uh, and this ended up, I, I, I did call this. I knew this was going to happen. But as we were kind of alluding to before, like it's really easy to get your Avengers Tower damaged for things beyond your control and literally in the first game. Um, I guess we should just say there is an encounter card in Tower Defense. Or if you draw it as an encounter card, just the Avengers da- Tower just takes three damage. It's called yep. Rain Fire. Uh, so if you draw that encounter card twice, and there are two copies in the deck, if you draw both of them, then you just have to flip into damage, and there's not much you can do from there. Um, which, again, is a bummer, because like, there's a bunch of other cool decision points you can make where like you know certain minions come out, and you can choose to take damage or put uh, damage under the tower. If you end up having to block from like one of the villains, you can, take, uh, you can put damage on the tower instead of them getting like a bonus. But yeah, in this case, yeah, you, if you just draw that encounter card twice, or both copies of that encounter card, I should say, uh, you're just you're just done, and you're flipped to uh, the damage side. Which on the first game happened to me in the first three rounds, so uh, that was fun. <laughs> well, I mean, but, you managed to not get tilted, apparently. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it was a, uh, I, I was a little bit sad, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. but that's okay. Like, like I said, like the other two games, I ended up doing well, ended up avoiding those narrowly, um, and, uh, and like I said, like when I actually ended up looking at the results overall, it seemed like a lot of people, even Flight One, kind of ran into the same thing, where at least one game they yeah. had a, uh, out of their three, they had a Damage Avengers Tower. Um, other than that, like I said, in two of the games I had that, um, the, the, the sewers environment actually up. So everyone had retaliate again, that definitely slowed me down a little bit. I ended up doing eight rounds overall, which again was a little bit slow, but, um, I wasn't too sad about it overall. I thought I did pretty well with vision and I did have a lot of fun with the scenario, like regardless. So yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, and what about you? How'd you end up doing this? <laughs> well, so the um, we did it. We definitely identified Vision as somebody who we thought would be good for XP. I think Black I think Black Widow we thought would be the worst actually. Um, mm, mm-hmm. Not not time for the best. And then then we thought Wasp was also going to be somebody who was going to be pretty good. So I ended up spending a bunch of time. I, I actually kind of did what I did almost every round this season. I played at least a couple games with every single option just to get a sense of it because that's like again this is my primary way that I play Marvel Champions so that I make sure I experience the content through through these challenges. But I ended up focusing mostly on Wasp and Black Widow. Black Widow I was having the most fun with, and Wasp, <laughs> despite you know a lot of people's opinions about Wasp, I actually did have quite a bit of fun with. I think um, some of the recent cards that lean into her champion trait um, really have helped her in terms of her economy. And this being, as you mentioned, uh, a scenario that you can actually flip every other round. So she has access to her alter ego ability where you can stuff the the mental resource cards back into the deck um, also really benefits her, her economy. So she feels kind of a lot. She's, I think she feels a lot better than she did earlier on in the game in terms of her crappy economy was the thing that made a lot of the rest of her feel bad. But yeah, um, yeah, that is, I yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna say that is totally fair. When when you said uh, uh, it was funny, we were having a discussion about this when you were testing Wasp, and when you said that Wasp was actually fun in the scenario, I, I, I literally <laughs> didn't believe you. Um, I, I've been pretty outspoken about my uh, distaste for Wasp, um, just because, uh, as you just mentioned, like her economy has been like historically really freaking bad. But it does make sense. Like I actually completely forgot because i haven't looked at the hero in so long that she has that genius trait on her alter ego side and all those new genius cards that we got in the uh iron heart pack like probably do make that a lot lot better so that absolutely makes so much sense to me um i don't know if it's enough to entice me to try her again (laughs) but um but uh i'm glad that uh i'm glad that she's a lot more fun especially being able to flip and everything this round yeah. Well, and so my my mistake, yeah, I said champion, but you're right. It's it's that she has the genius trace. So she has access to ingenuity and she can play Moon Girl, which is on her alter ego alter mm-hmm. ego side. Um, not not champion. But anyway, so I ended up playing Black Widow because I really had a lot of fun. So I, I tried a deck that was, you know, kind of a a deck that was meant to get out Dum Dum Dugan or um the Winter Soldier. Both of those which you know have a decent amount of health and multiple activations and then having things like command team and being able to really use rapid response to use up a whole bunch of dum dum dugan's uh activations and then rapid response and back into play and if you're flipping with back black widow then you're able to recur your rapid responses from her alter ego side and you can really get a lot of damage now it, it can often take a lot of time to get all that working but it's it's pretty fun when it works and one of the games i got dum dum doing it out i think in the second turn and was just able to you know through attrition with him just have a very successful game so that was pretty fun i really i really um underestimated how powerful being able to recur rapid response actually was so that that was fun i had I'm definitely one of those people who got stuck behind the sewers forever, almost every single game. And so that retaliate was pretty hard to negotiate. But I mean, fortunately, because both the Winter Soldier 
because the Winter Soldier has four health, and I was playing team training, that there's mm. a lot of activations to have, be had there, even with Retaliate. And Dum Dum Dugan, because he actually takes a crap ton of consequential damage, he has tons of health. So the extra Retaliate almost is inconsequential to him. That, so it did, that makes it did feel, yeah, it did feel like I got slowed down by those, but maybe I think people who might have been playing, you know, a lot of two health allies kind of thing. <laughs> it was much more brutal for them. But anyway, I just kind of got trapped. I, behind those, you know, two out of three games, and the the very first game, I, I ended up getting up to six damage kind of almost immediately, and then having to play extremely conservative, not flipping every turn or anything like that, because once you, once you flip down, you don't have access to Grappling Hook, which is the thing that cancels a treachery. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't trigger target acquired, which is the thing that cancels the boost effect on on rain fire. And so I ended up having to, you know, I I locked it down. I had grappling hook and tower or uh, target acquired, and I was able to to totally lock down the board. But I I wasn't able to take advantage of the great economy that she gets from flipping. So it was really 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 slow. But I, anyway, I had fun. It actually was a really good challenges to try to negotiate through seeing those stupid environments come up and having to, you know, in the moment, really readjust how I was approaching the game from that perspective. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about how beyond what I said, how, how things actually played out. Cause there's uh, some good, good success and, uh, and a little bit of embarrassment in how it all went. But um, the, the actual overall results we saw Ant-Man being the most popular hero at 25%. Wasp at 24, Black Widow at 21, Vision at 17, and Spectrum at 13. Um, you know, pretty even overall. I think Ant-Man's definitely, we saw from from league-wide voting, Ant-Man's one of the most popular heroes, so no surprise that as many people went with him as, as they did. I think Wasp at 24%, maybe a little bit, because people were anticipating some XP bonuses as well from that. But, you know, Wasp at 24% definitely is putting her pretty high. I don't know. Any any thoughts on any of that? No, no, yeah. I was actually like Ant-Man being the top definitely doesn't surprise me. Like people love Ant-Man. He's stupid strong. He is like a high A, if not S tier hero, like a hundred percent. So that doesn't surprise me that like a lot of people would try to go for Ant-Man uh between his power level and like how much fun people have with him. Wasp definitely surprises me. Um yeah. she is definitely a harder um she is a harder here to pilot because her economy has historically, like we said, been like not super great right out of the gate. But um, uh, especially with leadership like uh, that can definitely be mitigated a lot with the, some of the new cards, some of the new genius cards, especially. So maybe people are just excited to play with the new stuff with her. Uh, I could see there being a bit of hype. Like I know like like you were definitely hyped about that a little bit like you're definitely talking about that a little bit so i could definitely see that and then black widow definitely makes sense to me just because um uh, i mean we're kind of alluding to before um you were correct in saying that she probably would have been or uh, i would have thought she would have been the best choice in terms of win percentage and just like her approval rating overall just because she's the only one of these heroes that could absolutely lock down and actually had options for canceling in counter cards to prevent the yeah. uh, tower from being flipped. She's the, the only one really of all these heroes that like had any agency over that from happening. So I would have actually thought her um, 
approval rating would have been closer to the top overall. But uh, that that makes sense why people picked her the most. Um, and then Spectrum and Vision being a little bit lower, like uh, people don't seem to really love Spectrum all that much. So that doesn't really surprise me that she wasn't chosen too much. Vision, I honestly thought would have been higher just because uh, Vision's super fun and, like, in my opinion, pretty strong. But I, I don't know. That might just be bias. Like, what, uh, what, what do you think people's like overall opinion on Vision has been? Um, I mean, Vision kind of came out in the middle of the very weird batch of heroes that had Nebula and Valkyrie and everything, and I think, hmm. um. You know, the overall enthusiasm for that specific cycle of heroes uh, wasn't necessarily all that high. It's kind of like one of those places where people weren't playing a ton. And then all of us, you know, um, people kind of got really paying attention to the Web Warriors because there was lots of interesting things in there. So it felt like it was a little bit of a down cycle in the game overall. But I, mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, I, I personally think Vision is fun and I think he's like fairly powerful as well. But I mean, 17% versus 25% also isn't that radically different in terms of overall pick rate either so you know fair. i kind of you know it from one perspective you can say you know twice as many people played ant-man as as spectrum but the other perspective is when you look at the pies it it looks kind of even across the board too so yeah that's <laughs> like, no, totally fair totally um fair. but I, I mean spectrum's an interesting one because i think a lot of people have the experience with spectrum of you can get locked into one of her forms which is you know at a time where maybe it's actually not the one you want to be and it feels like you don't have quite as much agency so you really have to play around that ahead of time and that takes a whole extra layer of thinking and preparation and all those other things that myself included makes spectrum just kind of not not as fun as as some of the other heroes i just feel like i lose a little bit of agency but other people look at it as something that you need to know and play around and think think about as part of your play no, that totally makes sense to me because uh, I've definitely like when I've played Spectrum in the past, I think when we did the all Spectrum round a season or two ago, I can't remember yeah. when that was. Um, but I, I definitely get that feeling um, like not being able to like switch when you want to definitely feels bad. But I would have thought that um, she would have been more popular specifically in this round just because uh, leadership kind of like makes up for some of those gaps. Because, like, even yep. if you can't change form, like, if you build your deck uh, to be more ally-heavy, you can kind of, like, fill in some of those gaps and make yourself a little bit more balanced just with, like, strong leadership heroes. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I totally get people's reservation for that alone. Uh, I was just a little bit surprised that it wasn't higher with leadership being, like, so good for Spectrum, in my opinion. Right, right. And and she has access to tons of damage in her kit and stuff, right? And, and... Right. We'll see. We'll see in a moment. She ended up being the fastest hero. So, yeah. Um, and then you know, alluding, going back to your previous comment about you know how often people might have actually had the tower be damaged. It was sixty-one percent of the games saw people going to stage two of the tower. So that means the tower getting getting damaged. So that you know, that's that's actually even higher than I think I I had predicted. I was. I was predicting. I mean, maybe I was kind of talking more about the higher performing players, but I was I was anticipating that on average people would probably have the tower go over once out of three games of kind of maybe the higher performing players. So maybe I have to look more carefully at the results. But you know, so I was actually surprised by this number just because it was kind of a bit incongruent with what I was saying before. 
Um, but so yeah, like almost two thirds of the time, people actually saw it go over to stage two. But that's going to include yeah. some losses and other things too. Sure, yeah, absolutely. But uh, that that's uh, I knew it was going to be high, but that is even higher than I was personally anticipating. So that is pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the actual performance of the heroes—they were actually, in terms of approval ratings, they were all really similar. With Ant Man at eighty-five point two average, and then Black Widow at the bottom with eighty-one point two average. So only four points of approval rating, which is is quite small um, between the the top and the bottom. So pretty similar performance from that perspective overall. Highest win rate was Vision at ninety-seven percent. And then lowest was Wasp at 84%. You know, still a little bit of a bigger range, but overall, it really kind of seems like these heroes were all more or less equally capable in this scenario. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, um, Vision at 97% win rate is insane to me. Like, uh, especially, <laughs> that, but that, that is definitely like high and above, like pretty crazy uh, in terms of the numbers overall. But other than that, like, yeah, everyone seemed pretty even, which uh, I'm very impressed by. Um, so. Well, let's dig into the actual decks, and we can talk a little bit about each of the heroes um, while we do this. So Ant-Man, as I mentioned, finished top. Um, what what do you think are a couple things that are worth thinking about with Ant-Man in this matchup? With Ant-Man, um, it is... I mean... The good thing about Ant-Man is his base kit is just like so ridiculously crazy strong that you do have a lot of options to like experiment and play around with stuff without having to build him in any particular way to get like a lot of uh, value out of his base kit. But uh, that being said, um, you know, he is an Avenger, so you can like actually build him in kind of uh, kind of an Avengers E build if you really want to like. If uh, if I was personally going to build Ant-Man, I would probably at least try out some kind of readying build with a bunch of Avengers and um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. And then that uh, f- the leadership flipping card, Moxie, which is usually kind of eh-ish, like probably one of the like least effective um, uh, flipping cards overall. But I think with him it could actually work because he's got like a decently high stat line. So readying him in general is already pretty good. Yeah. So, you know, combine that with like some uh, readying cards to actually get decent value out of Moxie. And I think you could get see some pretty ridiculous stuff that he could end up doing. But um, I don't think anyone ended up actually going with that kind of build in the uh, in terms of the top uh, finishers for Ant-Man. Yeah, the in- interesting. I think Earth's Mightiest Heroes you know, a few seasons ago felt like it was everywhere all the time, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe it's because we're in a new cycle that's, you know, focusing more on champions and web warriors, and we're seeing a lot of different heroes. But it, it is, I just feel like Earth's Mightiest Hero, you know, around the time that Blade showed up, and there was just kind of a lot of Earth's Mightiest Heroes happening all the time. But, you know, it's interesting, you're, you know, uh, as you were saying about Ant-Man, so when he's in his large form, he has three attack. He has the giant strength upgrades, which gives him plus one attack when he switches to hero. So, And he's got two of those. So he basically, in his kit without anything else, has access to getting a stat line up to five attack. 
and then you talk about moxie and readying effects and a whole bunch of other things so you, you, it definitely seems like a viable approach but as you said the the folks that that share their decks didn't seem like they did that but we um you know it definitely seems fun and viable and he does play well with leadership right that's i mean he plays well with everything but <laughs> yeah for sure he plays well with leadership the one thing that's a little bit of a knock on him i think in in this specific scenario as compared to the other heroes is a lot of the other heroes benefited quite a bit from being able to flip down to alter ego in a way that he doesn't yeah that's extremely true like uh he's able to heal one if he flips uh but you know that's not like a huge deal or anything like that and like he gets a the slightly bigger hand size but um yeah it's definitely not as much of an effect as like some of the other heroes uh in this particular selection so uh but still i i think his just general power level overall and the fact that he's an avenger and you can do a lot of cool <laughs> stuff with leadership avenger it's like definitely took him away like regardless agreed and so i again as i mentioned i played a couple of games with everybody and so when i played i found that while i was waiting for him to get the helmet out i was still flipping down to alter ego to just take advantage of the little bit of of additional resources that you gained and then once i got the helmet out which really just makes flipping back and forth between tiny and giant to be so valuable that i of course didn't need to flip down anymore but that that was kind of so i would flip over to alter ego until i found the helmet and then and then i would switch modes and just flip between the heroes and that that felt pretty good actually no it totally makes sense to me um so it looks like we didn't get a deck for kermitty who is the top performer um we got a 96.39 approval rating so that's pretty insane uh but it looks like we got a deck from gondo and yes. he ended up going with um let's see he ended up going with a rapid response build it looks like with some like nick fury mockingbird maria hill like all those kind of like on play characters uh seem to be a pretty good strategy overall and then and then three copies of band together which is very fun that's um you know if if you're in a situation where you're really reliably going to be able to have extra minions on the or extra allies on the board stinger being a great one to just kind of leave out there to fuel later copies of band together that one works really well oh yeah um especially when you especially now with the inclusion of beasts like being able to like just yeah. grab any resource from anywhere uh they yeah band together can feel like cheating when it comes to economy in this game if you like really build the deck right it's it, it's absolutely insane so i i could definitely see this being a lot of fun and like very very strong and obviously it worked very well for gondo right and then um you know in this specific one i think a lot of people leaned harder into avengers uh gondo was not one of the people who did but a lot of people kind of leaned into doing some of the more avengers focused stuff and and then so that you wouldn't of course include beast but in this case having beast and and band together is is pretty pretty sweet and then we saw t eberly uh 14th of his name um as the third place finisher and this this deck gets a whole bunch of awards for me it's 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 so fun um it's a little ridiculous in a way that i really like so things to note 50 cards so this this is a co-recipient of the curtis james jackson the third aka 50 cent award for placing with a 50 card deck um also winner of the party at the triskelion award for most allies with 14 
which of course you know with a bigger deck you you can have more allies not necessarily a higher density of them but mm -hmm. still just a crap ton of allies and then also this is the deck was built in part around having quinjet being able to get quinjet down which i don't know if folks remember because this is just kind of not a very frequently played card but it's a support card one cost has the response of after your turn begins, place one time counter on Quinjet, and then at action, put an Avenger ally from your hand into play with printed cost equal to or less than the number of time counters on Quinjet. So you, you get it out early, just let it sit there for a while, and then all of a sudden you can get a super cheap, you know, let's see what we have, Giant Man, Goliath. Um, I think those are the big ones. Captain America, you're usually going to have a lot of Avengers, so Captain America's discount isn't quite as worthwhile. But um, so, you know, you can you can get that down and then wait until those really big, heavy-hitting allies show up, and then you can get them down for super cheap. Which, you know, you were already talking about that, that Avengers and being able to ready... the slightly different type of build, but, you know, the big big Avengers and being able to ready them. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems like it goes really hard into just getting, like, big allies out and just, like, buffing yeah. all of them with stuff like team training and mighty Avengers. That also looks extremely fun. Um this is like this is actually a really cool way to just like because most of the time when I see big leadership allies, some kind of like sneak attack build that they're trying for. But yeah. this seems like a totally different way uh, to kind of do this thing. And it makes sense with Ant-Man's already pretty insane economy. And then you just add in a couple of more um, leadership, like good economy cards. And yeah, this this seems like it could come together and just be really ridiculously fun. So, man. Yeah, every and time I have... like look at all these deck lists, I just like want to like play the round again with like everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Agree, except for you're sick of it, right? Like that's the that's the issue. <laughs> right. But you want to play the decks, um, and then you know even a copy of Effective Leadership, which is one of the newer um, cards that is when you spend this card to play an ally, the ally gets plus one thwart and plus one attack until the end of the phase. So another way to buff some of these bigger allies that you that you might actually get sub activations out of, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. And then I think that for me, that gets my plan B award for the most surprisingly effective tech. So the Quinjet being in there and like building a deck around it, I love it. No, oh, yeah, this is great. This is fantastic. Um, so Vision, so this is your baby. What <laughs> What is there beyond what we've kind of already mentioned a little bit? Um, what else do you think there is to know about playing Vision in this matchup? Um, I would say that um, I, I was kind of alluding to it before, but he's got big damage events that are kind of the bread and butter of like once you get some allies out and you can chump block for yourself, uh, you basically want to like focus on getting those big events out and just trying to like burst down the villains as like quickly as humanly possible. But he's got some other good cards in there. Um, the one that I definitely really, really like loved and like definitely got some good use out of is um I'm trying to think of the name of the card i think it's phase through let me double check just passing through just passing through that was the one or, or the wait, phase no. disruption the one with phase confused? disruption phase disruption because um yeah. both both corvus and proxima can get like some really nasty attachments out with their like right. weapons yeah, uh, and it usually takes a huge amount of economy, and you usually like definitely need these are like attachments. Like some attachments in uh, the game, you can just completely ignore, and it's like oh, they get plus one attack. That kind of sucks, but you just have to deal with it. 
with these, it's like, I think Proxima gets like piercing and overkill, so you can no longer chump block, <laughs> yeah. which is like your whole strategy for not taking like an absolute crap ton of damage from her. And then Corvus gets retaliate one, which, you know, I've already talked about how retaliate sucks. So if you can get that off of him and prevent him from potentially even getting retaliate too, you want to do that. And, you know, phase disruption is just awesome because it gets that off and it confuses the villain. It's it's great. I, I love this card so much, especially in this scenario. Um, other than that, um, he's got a decent amount of economy just because a lot of his stuff is, uh, a lot of his big events and everything, they're superpowers, so death focus. Yep. Adding that in there gives him a lot of decent economy for his bigger events. And then on top of that, he's got a solar gem, which is just the uh, two-cost uh, exhaust for a wild resource. So um, You cannot beat that. No, yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy, which is... Between those two things, that's the whole reason I actually didn't end up running like one of the more popular cards that, are, that people are running in the leadership these days, which is Clarity of Purpose, right. which is pretty insane card. It's um, it's a one cost exhaust and take a damage to basically generate a, a wild resource, which is bonkers, uh, especially in a scenario where you can flip a whole bunch and like recover if you really need to, if like you start pinning yourself too much. But um, yeah, overall. Um, uh there's a lot of good stuff that you can get with him uh, a lot of like exclusive cards like reboot and um reboot uh is a one cost card where you can ready a friendly android uh character and heal one damage from it so you can use that on vision or vivian as we were kind of talking about before uh i know a lot of people kind of like leaned into trying to get vivian out i think some people even went with like um like buffing her up a little bit uh but um yeah i uh i overall did okay because of a couple of different factors a little bit slower than some people and i did get that uh damage avengers tower in the one game so i did not end up finishing in the top three um but uh in terms of the other people that finished i know freeze dried stride uh it's a great name by the way um he finished with in six rounds average with really good scores yep. 91.90 that, that, that's crazy fast that's awesome good good for them um but uh unfortunately didn't get a deck for them second place we got pack attack cb uh 6.7 round average which is still stupid fast um barely behind actually uh first mm -hmm. place but they actually did end up going a little bit hard into the economy they did run two times clarity of purpose and they had kind of a similar um, they kind of similar strategy to me in terms of um, ally recursion, but they did it in in the way of rapid response rather than regroup, which makes sense yeah. when you have stuff like, um, you know, uh, non play from hand stuff like Kalu, Squirrel Girl, Maria Hill, um, and then make the call power leadership. So like pretty just like basic, like get the good allies out that can like do good stuff when they hit the board. Um, so that was a pretty awesome strategy. And then it looks like. So Gu Guillaume used the 20 tails recurring uh, Vivian deck has um, just like straight up, I think. Oh, um, okay. Which I, that's, that's what I actually played when I tried out vision. And I mean, that deck's very, very fun, but as you, as you point out, there's some setup required. And so if, you know, you have to get to Vivian and having six, one, six, hickory lane out to to be able to really then take yeah. over with that strategy 
totally fair and like i love that this like ended up actually working out because when i yep. first looked at the deck i thought i would have had to like adjust it quite a bit for scl because like you said like you definitely most of the time in scl you want to play like a more tempo based thing and these yep. like slower combo decks usually just like don't end up working fast enough compared to some other strategies that you can do but um yeah yeah it seemed like it worked out for him really well because um they still got a 7.3 round average with like pretty close to perfect scores except for you know it looks like they did get in a damaged avengers tower one time <laughs> just like <yeah. laughs> just like Welcome most people <laughs> exactly so but like yeah like i said like um between that and like the um it this this version of the deck only runs six allies which is definitely a little bit light i didn't think that would work as well when you need to like really chump block every turn um yep. with against this encounter so no i'm i'm, I'm I, I was surprised that just like doing this straight up without like uh adding any allies or like uh accounting for like some more tempo stuff that i, I would have thought that would have been the uh, play but yeah no this this ended up working out for him he definitely did things way faster than i ended up doing them so no uh, right. props to them well, so, you know, this specific one uses all the added allies are ones that draw cards, importantly. Mm -hmm. So that's that's helping you get to your combo pieces as quickly as possible. And mm -hmm. then because you can flip every other round, um, you know, that's, first of all, way more card draw because, because of the flipping. But also mm -hmm. the need for allies to block also goes down a little bit too so it's like there's there's like a bunch of things that conspire you could have a pretty bad start easily because you don't necessarily have very you might not get the allies you need and it might you might not then get into your draw cards but if you kind of get that thing rolling quickly i think that probably works pretty well that was my experience was i had one game where it worked miserably and the other game where it worked <laughs> great <laughs> no that totally makes sense um but yeah yeah like um that 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 makes sense if you're able to get things out consistently like right off the bat maybe just mulligan really hard for like the draw allies so you can start getting that engine going that would make sense to me so um yeah yeah again uh, again props to them for uh, well, for making that work so freaking well that's awesome and and one thing to loop back to that you that you mentioned and you know, we'll talk about this with with some of the other heroes in a moment but you know um vision has you know, depending on his form of course cuz lots of his parts of his kit depend on his form but he has three copies of the solar beam which is seven damage and two copies of super dense strike which is five damage right so he has a lot of high damage events like you mentioned in his kit yeah. so in addition to some of the other stuff that's happening you can kind of burst down the villains just with stuff in his kit um which like that's a really high density of decent attacks uh which we see we're going to see right now because wasp is somebody else who has a has a very similar thing going on right so she has three pinpoint strikes which are the ones that do seven and actually even an extra damage if you're in um which form if you're in tiny mm -hmm. and then she also has wasp sting i'm just looking at how many there are in there i think just two so she actually has a, like a very similar density to to what happens with with vision but as we already discussed her economy's kind of within the kit not quite as strong um and then uh, the other thing I mentioned before was her alter ego ability of being able to put cards with um, what I was—I always want to say genius resources, but mental uh, resources, mental resources, yeah. <laughs> mental resources back in. And then some people really lean heavy into that, but like all of her attack events basically use those. And then 
most of the other really good cards that um like moon girl and stuff like that that she benefits from from an economy perspective are also that kind so there, there's a bunch of reasons why kind of that whole package comes together and works pretty well for her uh so we saw we saw Jarrett, um you know friend of the pod do do the best out of all of the folks with wasp at 6.7 turn average and kind of perfect scores across there uh he used a mighty avenger so this is one we saw quite a bit you know mighty avengers and avengers towers a bunch of avenger allies no avengers assemble that was actually not a very common choice that people made this round they just kind of took advantage of having all those allies and the buffs that go with them as opposed to having these big burst combo turns and then three strength and numbers just to take advantage of and especially once you get retaliate on the board those strength and numbers is letting you do other productive stuff with your allies other than just um you know sending them to die and then uh he said his his goal was to get ant-man the scott version of it because both ant-mans were in the deck or goliath up and running with some big damage through command team which is also something i really took advantage of and then mighty avengers um and so you get a bunch of attacks out of out of goliath or or that scott ant-man Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, no, this is great. Like, because, um, like, like I was saying before, like, ha- uh, leaning into a strategy that, like, relies completely on ally damage is a little bit risky in this just because you had that retaliate one environment that could come out. But, like you were saying before, Wasp also has, like, the backup of having just these huge attack events that she can. Yeah that she can uh, rely on instead. So you can kind of like pivot into using those big allies for just support and thwarting while you use wasp mostly for, uh, for attacking. So I like the, uh, I, I definitely like the strategy here of being able to really burst people down with the allies with Miters, mighty Avengers and just like man team and just going all ham on that while yep. still having like the backup of like, okay, well if that plan fails, I've got some backup damage in these events. So yeah, no, I really like this. And then uh, second was Ali Merrill, who um, had an 8.7 turn average. We really see a wide range in in the number of turns that that people had in this. I think a lot larger than we typically see in a round, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this so this this was kind of the overall idea was to play cheap allies, you know, high value allies, lots of them, 12 in this case, being able to use her ability to stuff good stuff back into the deck. And, um, and you know, the inclusion of Last Stand, which is something I actually used last round for the first time I think I've ever used in Solo Champions League. So this is the one that's an event. When an ally you control attacks, it gets plus three for the attack. After the attack resolves, discard that ally. This is something that actually synergizes really nicely with the fact that there might be retaliate out and you might just be getting a smaller number of activations out of your allies than usual that you're just like, well, whatever, they're dying anywhere. I can throw an extra three damage on for one resource, which is which is pretty good. No, I love that because it's like literally the exact, it's pretty much the opposite ally strategy that Jarrett had. Um, <laughs> and that he's just throwing out cheap allies and just like getting them out there, which um, which also makes sense um, because, you know, as I, as I, as we kind of said before, you want to be chump blocking every single round with these guys. So you can either, you can get a bunch of cheap allies out, either uh, get a lot of damage in with last stand and get ready and just like use them to burst down real quick without having to worry about them staying alive. Uh, and then like or and or just like use them to chump block um later in the round so yeah this is this is also really cool i i uh i mean i keep saying this whenever i'm on the podcast but i'm always amazed at like how like 
very like how many varying strategies can work so well these days yeah. with like such a good card pool I, I i like that we're finally getting to that point in the card pool where like so many different strategies for every single hero in a single encounter could just like work so well yeah well and that's what makes for me kind of spending some time really looking carefully at these decks quite rewarding to see to see how successful so many different strategies can actually be pretty fun yeah absolutely I mean, um, like oh, like ahead. you said, if I wasn't sick of the round, I would definitely go back and like try at least. <laughs> and then uh, third with Wasp was uh, unknown how to pronounce, but I'm going to say Zagrosa. Um, and and this was a based on a deck that actually was where I started with my my Wasp tries as well. So the around the same time, there was a deck that was posted to Marvel CDB by Get Up and Game that just leaned as hard as possible into awesome things that use mental resources. So you can really choose to add whatever you want back into your deck when you're flipping. I believe that this deck actually was originally intended to be one that you would stay in Alter Ego, the Get Up and Game one, that you would yeah. stay in Alter Ego and then just be able to stuff all the, the great stuff back in. Um, you know, in practice, that's not how I, that's not how I played it. I'm pretty sure that's not how Zagrosa played it. But this because you you don't obviously want to stay in alter ego and let Proxima scheme. But it was a it was a really fun base to build on, and and so this was just you know all sorts of great ones, and also really awesome to see uh, something that I really liked as a tech uh, for a few of the the different choices uh, a few of the different heroes was having adam warlock because especially in wasp adam warlock um, has this ability where you discard a random card and based on the resource type of of that card you do something like deal three damage or heal three damage or whatever so very high value for what you're discarding and because you have so many mental resources and the mental resource ability is deal three damage to an enemy you can just get a crap ton of damage out of adam warlock that makes so much sense. And plus, like we were saying before, like um, Wasp usually has a little bit of a weird or like not super great economy. And, you know, having something that can just like discard that one last random card that you have, that's like just really good economy smoothing for a hero that is like historically not had a great economy. Yeah. Um, again, that's definitely a lot better nowadays with some of these newer cards included. But like. Um, yeah, even then, like she can get into some weird spots where she has a card or two left over and you can only play like one card that round, and like that's a really great way to get really good value out of that last card in your hand. Yeah, I I mean I had I this was the part I really actually enjoyed about it is Adam Warlock in there, and like you said, you know, you get her big three attack event and you discard a card and and you're super productive. And maybe it's when you need burst thwart or or whatever it is that you need. Yeah, no, I love it. That's great. And then Spectrum was um, fourth place. So we had Ant-Man, Vision, Wasp, and now Spectrum. Um, we, we got in first... Oh, oh sorry. Let's, I think we kind of talked mostly about the the spectrum e things um, you know, she has two resource generators in her kit, so she actually has a pretty decent amount of... Um, like a decent economy, sorry. But she she only has three big attack events compared to some of the other ones, but because she can get her attack up to three if she's in the right form, she has a decent amount of damage in her kit overall. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like we were kind of saying before, it does suck if you get her stuck in a specific form when you want her in another one. 
But um, uh, like I was saying, like leadership is really great for her in that like like some really powerful leadership allies can just like make up for those gaps if she ends up getting stuck in a form that you don't really want her in. So, um, yeah, she's she's really fantastic for leadership. And uh, yeah, yeah, just like really good overall in that she can like do a lot of really good leadership things and just completely rely on her base kits damage to finish things off while her allies do all the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and you you usually have the backup of of the allies, and then because it is safe to flip, safe-ish to flip with her over to alter ego, you also kind of have that other escape valve because when you come back from alter ego, you get to choose the form again. So in addition to her her cards that allow flipping um, between her different forms, you you have that extra a little bit of player agency. And so I yeah, I played a couple games with her, um, kind of just pretty regular experience of course she was overall i think she has the highest damage output and we saw that translate into her actually having the fastest games overall um merlin um from the phoenix force in flight one who we've actually seen uh i think got first overall in in the season in flight one and was placed pretty much i think every every single round um had 5.7 turn average so really spectacular and managed to avoid having very important managed to avoid having the tower get damaged which is you know the faster you go the more likely you will avoid it but of course you can just draw into two of those and you have nothing that you could possibly do about it so that uh, merlin is the winner of the if only quicksilver actually played this fast award at that 5.7 we don't know the deck merlin um is not somebody i've been able to get decks out of but um spectacular performance uh second is our another one of our frequent co-hosts greg um coming out of the out of the bears and uh this is another co or not another this is a co-recipient of the curtis james jackson the third aka 50 cent award for placing with a 50 card deck so this is just another one of those giant decks tons of allies 11 and uh so this was one that had mighty avengers and command team and rapid response and relied on giant man power man goliath and getting lots of activation so something we've been talking about quite a bit so this is something that just sits besides spectrum and all the stuff that spectrum can do mm-hmm. and it looks like and, it also runs sneak attack right which like this is the first sneak attack deck i've actually right. seen all game which uh i've always wanted to try out more sneak attack deck a sneak attack deck seems like a lot of fun and it seems like in this case it would work really really well with just like these giant freaking allies she's able to get out um so yeah no that's awesome and Earth's Mightiest Heroes, right? We said that we haven't seen much, mm-hmm. but here's there there's one just sitting here. But but going in the opposite direction potentially, right? Where you you might actually be using um, other allies' activations to power your big allies' activations, as opposed to allies' activations to power your heroes' activations. No, that that would make so much sense. Just like sneak attacking a Goliath out using Earth's Mightiest Hero to use your Stinger to like get two activations out of him. Love it. Yeah, there's a, if you haven't played much sneak attack, the the trick is the thing that you really encounter in Marvel Champions is trying to get everything lined up where you have sneak attack in your hand at a time that you also have the ally, and you don't have much agency over that. Mm-hmm. So you got to like get that value out when you can. That totally makes sense. You, you got to get that value out while you can, and so that's you know though they're really fun, but they're pretty inconsistent. Um, in terms of how successful you could be, but I mean, so sneak attack was not totally 
uh, Greg didn't totally lean into sneak attack because it's just two copies. So you can see that that's only kind of just a, you know, do it when it comes up, but that's not the only way that you're going to be successful. And then third was Olpus um, out of flight one. And this, this was also another one of my very favorite builds. So this, we saw T Everly's uh, build that I just thought was really fun using Quinjet, but here we have Olpus actually leaned into air supremacy. So air supremacy is this leadership event that's a two cost one, and it's hero action choose up to X enemies, where X is equal to the number of aerial characters you control, deal three damage to each chosen enemy. There just happens to always be two enemies on the board at all times in this scenario. So air supremacy is kind of always going to be able to do six damage unless you know one of your villains is already down too close to zero to be able to take advantage of that. Plus you could hit extra minions that are out or, and things like that. And then the, of course, to complement that, we see a whole bunch of aerial uh, or allies. I always get allies and minions um, switched in my brain. But anyway, so we see Adam Warlock has aerial, second showing of Adam Warlock. Blue Marvel, her, um, one of the one in her kit, Cloud Nine, Falcon. Um, is that the only one? Is that the rest? So, because you don't need a ton, because you're only really needing to again, you you only really need one other ally so that you hit that second one. Exactly. Um, but but pretty cool. I and and then on top of that, also very fun. There's Sky Cycle to add Ariel to some of the other. I mean, uh, allies that are in the deck because there's a bunch of Avengers that don't have Ariel, and then you can give them Sky Cycle and also get extra act activations out of them if you want. Something like Vision, which is one of those allies where you can you can boost him up and and then benefit from getting extra activations. So very very cool deck and very like pretty great score overall, six point seven round average. Looks like they took a took Avengers uh, tower damage once, but. Uh, mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Uh, this is definitely a human after my own heart because I'm pretty sure this is the exact or very close to the exact deck that I tried to build when we had the uh, all spectrum round a couple oh, seasons ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was, I think it was also against um, tower defense in that it scenario. Was. And it like, was. I, I kind of came to the same conclusion that like, ah, oh, air supremacy is pretty freaking good for. Uh, <laughs> For like its value overall, when you already have like one aerial hero like at all times and yeah. two villains out, so like that's just good value. So um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, great minds think alike. Obviously. <laughs> well, that that's another thing is that's really cool is as you mentioned, Spectrum does have without having to actually bring any other things out has aerial, and so you can lean into some aerial cool aerial stuff because of that. Yeah, exactly, which is, yeah. No, this is great. All right, and then my team, which was uh, the Black Widow team, um, I think we already mentioned, right, she's able, she's like the only hero that actually has any real agency in terms of being able to consistently try to stay on top of the Avengers Tower damage, even though I was, I was like really on the edge frequently. I, I managed to, to avoid actually having it flip over. Um, I think... Uh, of the three of us that that placed, it looks like Tom, who got third out of us, might have let the tower go over once, um, probably despite best intentions. I was certainly close and was definitely a card draw away in mul multiple games from from having it go over. 
And then, so uh, Chichunas uh, out of flight two had an 8.7 round average, but an otherwise perfect score. I am the proud winner of the Pietro Maximoff Irony Award for slowest top performing deck. Um, and I was actually two and a third full turns slower than the next one because I had a 12.7 turn average, which is... <laughs> really slow <laughs> which you know being able to keep that tower healthy for that many turns uh maybe is an accomplishment on its own and then oh. as i as i mentioned tom at third uh out of flight two with 8.3 and then uh, tom did a, an avengers assemble deck which is kind of a neat thing to try to do out of black widow so this is kind of like i was saying you know spectrum on top of everything she does black widow on top of everything she does having like this whole other package and so that's like an avengers assemble a package uh any any other thoughts on on this no, one? i mean it, it totally makes sense that uh black widow was like relatively slow compared to everyone else but also had like one of the higher win rates and like one of the higher like scheme scores overall just yeah. because there is no way to like do any uh, encounter canceling in leadership's kit, and she had the only base kit that could actually do that thing at all. So, uh, yeah, no, it totally makes sense that everything was a little bit slower for her. But yeah, absolute props for uh, for getting a score that high with a twelve point seven turn average. Because yeah, no, that is that is amazing. So it's a neat it's a neat observation that you make because I just went back up to look at the overall scheme scores, and of course you have do have to remember that this is. All these things include wins and losses in terms of how these things get calculated. So kind of the the proportion that things are used to calculate these scores are different by different heroes because we saw Vision at a 97% win weight and Wasp had 84. So kind of how these things all contribute. But we saw that Wasp had the lowest scheme score at 52, and Ant-Man and Vision were tied for the highest at 68, and then Black Widow was right behind them with 66. So they, they they benefited from being able to go a little faster, and then Black Widow benefited from being able to actually protect herself. Yeah, absolutely. Which was, yeah, no. Black, I, I, I thought about doing Black Widow like pretty early too, because I haven't played her in a while. She's just stupid fun, and the fact that she can cancel that stuff is just no. She's great. She's amazing. Uh, she definitely, in terms of feeling like you're playing something that's way different than everybody else, uh, she's definitely up there, right? Yeah, for sure. I think I think the 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 play experience of playing Black Widow is kind of um, on on the long end end of the tail in terms of being a unique experience. Uh, any anything else that we missed in looking at decks, or that you want to bring up? Uh, not that I can really think of. No, we uh, we did a pretty good job of covering that. <laughs> we did a great job. So I think that wraps everything up for this week. I want to thank you, Matthew Noodles, for joining us. No, thanks so much for having me on. It's always an absolute blast uh, doing these deep dives into these rounds with you. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, and it's it's fun because you know we we're obviously always chatting in our alliance, but you know just actually being able to really sit down and chat for a while is 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 great, which is one of the very fun things about doing this podcast. And then I want to thank all of you for joining us on the road to nowhere. <laughs>